Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. We've only been married for four years, but we've been together since we were 19. When I met Lewis, I would consider myself, now looking back, full-blown alcoholic. I drank all the time. Started out with just social drinking on the weekends at a party or or what have you, and then it turned into uh, experimenting with marijuana, and then that moved on to cocaine. But as my alcoholism accelerated, then I was introduced to methamphetamines, and it was on. The kids were my whole life. You know, I, I did the best I could with what I had to protect them uh, from me. It came in the form of multiple family members taking us in, knowing, oh gosh, you know, it's shell. She's a mess, but the kids are safe here. The kids were taken away from me in October of 2014. At that point, I had tried to quit so many times. Uh Uh-huh. I didn't think I could do it. And I couldn't live without them. I didn't understand how you could love something so much and know with all your heart that all you had to do was just not pick up that next drink. I couldn't do it. I remember thinking one time, you know, on my second DUI, they, uh, you know, they took my license for an extended period of time at this point, I think, I think a year. And I lived quite a ways out of town. Uh, I remember thinking, man, once I get this license back, how am I going to not lose it again? And then, of course, it happened again, you know, a few years later, but still within a 10-year time period, so it turned into a felony. You know, at the time, I was driving truck for a living, so career's gone. Yeah, and to be honest with you, that still didn't completely sink in. And I randomly opened the Bible to the book of Deuteronomy, and the first words that I read were, you have stood long enough on this mount. And I remember, for the first time in my whole life, feeling that maybe, maybe I wasn't gonna have to live that way forever. I lived in such a miserable existence for for so long that, you know, all I, apparently all I needed was just that time away from it. Church on the Rock became my family, and I was uh, first in line to get baptized, and then there was no looking back. This prophecy, these prophetic words that Jolene spoke over me, it was in the tune of, you're going to lead our family into a new generation. You are going to be a hand in which breaks chains of addiction. That you will be somebody that gathers the family back together. 
So when we got the opportunity to purchase the house out on the family homestead, first thing I did was call my sister. Hey, I need you to start. I didn't even trust my own prayers, right? <laughs> but I trusted hers. So we have become what they're calling us, the host of the homestead. So we host all of the family gatherings. And we used to barely be welcome at family <laughs> gatherings. <laughs> barely. Like, oh no, they're here. There's no other label to put on it as a miracle of God. Yeah. Nothing else, nothing else could perform that level of transformation in such a dynamic, massive scale in such a short period of time. It's all God. He's providing for everyone. It's, it's incredible. Man, that was awesome. So encouraging to see life transformed in that way and redeemed. Um, Lewis and Shelley, so, something that's not in that video is um, they got their two kids back. Three, three kids back. Isn't that awesome? Man. So cool seeing God work in mighty ways. So thanks for sharing that. It's an awesome testimony. Rebuilt life. Have you ever rebuilt something? Uh, decided to put the time and effort and cost to rebuild something? Maybe you have uh, been a part of rebuilding a house, old beat-up home, wanted to flip it. Or maybe a beat-up vintage motorcycle. Shine it up, work on the engine, make it run better than before. Uh, or maybe a beat-up guitar, vintage guitar, repair the cracks, um, polish it up, put new strings on it, make it play better than it ever has played before. Well, there's a lot of time involved in that, a lot of effort, maybe some opposition and cost. But we wouldn't do it if we didn't think we could get more back on it than it spent Repairing it. It's kind of like the Christian walk. Um, we shouldn't just toil for toil reason or suffer for suffer reason, but to have our eyes on something uh, that is much greater than the cost. Church, I want to uh, read to you uh, an encouraging passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, down in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we set our eyes on the seen, it can be discouraging in so many ways. We see the obstacles, we see the cost, but the unseen, the eternal, we should have our eyes fixed on. That is the great reward and the great prize we have waiting for us. We'd be foolish not to think otherwise. 
our troubles in this life shouldn't diminish our hopes of heaven or, or our faith. We shouldn't be disillusioned for what is seen on this earth. So we're in the stand month, and we're going through the book of Nehemiah. Um, if you were, weren't here uh, last week, I just want to review a little bit what we talked about uh, last week in Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, uh, he's in Persia, and he's got this really great gig working for uh, the king of Persia as the cupbearer. He's got a good life. But he hears about uh, Jerusalem's walls are broken down. They are shattered. They're destroyed. Uh, uh, the people there are exposed and vulnerable. And God's uh, name and uh, reputation is uh, dishonored. And so uh, he has a great call on his heart to go and repair these walls. He asks uh, the king for permission. Hey, king, can I go? The king not only says yes, but he gives him all the supplies for the job. And he gives him a royal escort uh, down there. So, uh, but the first thing he does before anything is he prays. He talks to God. He prays. Now, I want to point out that Jerusalem uh, back then uh, is a very dark time in history. It's 445 BC, so that's 445 years before Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, Israel is not a big deal anymore. It's actually kind of an afterthought compared to all of these powerful nations around it in history, Persian Empire. And Israel is, uh, you know, very weak. In the city, there is also darkness going on. Uh, they, uh, the Jews are disobeying uh, many of the laws. Uh, they're not honoring the Sabbath. They're working and selling stuff on the Sabbath. Uh, there's corrupt priests, and there's social injustices, uh, failure to tithe, uh, and just social problems galore. So there's a lot of corruption and darkness going on as Nehemiah enters in. So we're going to pick up the story when Nehemiah comes into uh, Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is going to be faced with many costs doing this. But I believe he's got the faith that the cost of obedience will be far outweighed by the eternal reward. So before we get into this, church, let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for your presence uh, here this morning. And God, we just uh, want to get into your word. And, and, and Lord, we just ask, talk to us through your word right now. Speak to our hearts. Convict us of what we need to be convicted of, God. And uh, lead us in the way that you want us to be led. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So Nehemiah is going to head in to lead his people. And he's going to bark on this emission impossible. So note that he's not going to come in guns a-blazing. Get out of my way. I'm the expert here. I'm gifted. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to build this thing. Uh, he actually comes in pretty quiet. Doesn't tell everybody exactly what he's doing. He's going to do some inspecting. He wants to survey and check out this devastation, and it is uh, majorly devastated. This wall is completely torn down. There's a great principle here is that Nehemiah prays up, he prepares up, and he plans up. He does some thinking in this huge obstacle that he's got ahead of him. He doesn't just pray and just, you know, go for it. 
he, he prays and he does some planning and thinking. He's faced with something pretty major. Church, rebuilding something that is broken can be a daunting task. An awareness to the actual situation is the first step to liberation. Um, 2006, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I was a musician. I was doing pretty well as a regional musician. I was touring out of Austin and Nashville, and um, I had this really nice house. I had this big studio. I was recording clients and recording my own albums. Uh, I was playing in all the, the, the top clubs and mingling with the who's who. Things were going really well for me. I had this black leather captain's chair I would sit in and sit in my studio and call out these commands, less bass, more bass, that kind of thing. But through my life circumstances and not walking with the Lord and not surrounding myself with the right Christian brothers, I ended up losing everything and found myself back in Los Angeles where I had come from and all my stuff, what was left of it was in this tiny U-Haul storage unit. And I went to that unit, popped it open, and there was all my stuff crammed in there, broken, packed in. And there was my black leather captain's chair. And I sat in that thing in that U-Haul unit and looked at my stuff. And I cried before God and I said, my life is broken. And rebuilding that was also a daunting task for me. And I could have just been, I'm just going to rebuild it, start networking again, build my fan base up, whatever I needed to do. But God told me building that up the same was just going to make it fall again because it was made out of the same stuff. So I would pray and start embarking on this journey of rebuilding of my life. So you might be here today, maybe your marriage needs rebuilding or your family needs rebuilding or maybe you're thinking about adopting a kid and there's this uh, a huge call on your heart. There's some great principles in here I'd like to just outline for you. But praying is the first step. So we're gonna pick up here in chapter two of Nehemiah and there's a couple of characters that come on the scene uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. And they're going to come and they're going to say, hey, Nehemiah, you got your permit? You got your papers? You got your insurance papers? Do you have permission from the king to be here? And Nehemiah doesn't say, yeah, I used to work for the king, buddy. You know, get out of the way. He says, the God of heaven is going to give me success. He knew the one that was going to give him success. He knew who was uh, really his authority and he tells them, the God of heaven is going to give us success. So he embarks on this uh, uh, the city facelift, this home makeover, this HGTV type thing that he's going to do here to uh, Jerusalem. And as we get into uh, uh, chapter 3, uh, it's pretty interesting. Nehemiah is an autobiography, so it reads like, I went to Jerusalem or I did this. Well, in chapter 3, he doesn't, you can't find the word I 
anywhere in chapter three. He lists all these people that he enlists to help him. It's a great principle here of rebuilding. You can't do it by yourself. We need each other. This is a team effort. It's not meant to be an armchair quarterback type thing where you see maybe a family in need, a family hurting, and man, they're really, you know, they got some problems. No, we're supposed to be hands-on and helping each other. Nehemiah really points this out in chapter 3. Many hands make light work, church. I want to throw up this map of Jerusalem so we can kind of see what we're talking about with this gate, uh, excuse me, this wall, and there's all these gates uh, that uh, do different things. There's the dung gate at the bottom. That's pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, but we've got uh, the horse gate. There's all these different gates. Now, when you're rebuilding this wall, I would assume the first gate you would build, maybe the horse gate, bring in the, the armored horse, bring in the guards, get some protection going. Uh, but Nehemiah in one, this is really cool. First thing that's mentioned here is the sheep gate. He builds the sheep gate first in verse 1. The sheep were brought in through this gate for sacrifice of worship. The first thing he does is he puts a priority on worship. He puts a priority on worship. You want to build a town, you put a church in it first. Giving God the glory, putting priority on that, putting God in the center of things. This is where impossible tasks can be achieved. So we're going to spend some time in chapter four mostly uh, uh, today, and I'm going to talk about some costs and oppositions that Nehemiah and his crew are going to face. Um, so let's pick up here chapter four, verses, uh, verse one here. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed, which means just he's full of rage now. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. Now, the first time, it was just him and his boy, Tobiah. And now he's got his whole crew. He's squatted up. He's got his army behind him. There's some bullying going on here. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Feeble is wounded, weak. Will they restore their wall? The enemy doesn't like restoration. Will they offer sacrifices? See, the enemy doesn't like worship. Will they finish in a day? Now, he's just being condescending here. Little factor, they actually finished in 52 days, less than two weeks. Can they bring the stones back to life? Well, God's in the business of bringing stuff back to life, isn't he? But check out this word here. I want to I just, just point out this word. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Rubble, it, it, it's trash, it's rubbish. So he's calling this wall, it, it's trash. It's not worth even touching. So just a little backstory on Samballot. He was the governor of Samaria, which was just north of Judea where uh, Jerusalem's located. So Samballot, uh, some scholars say that he had hoped to be governor of Jerusalem as well. So he wanted to be governor in, in Samaria and in Jerusalem. So he's kind of got a little scam going. We'll call him Scam Ballot for now. Um. So he wanted to scare Nehemiah away, spoil his plans, you know, but 
Nehemiah spoils his plans by arriving on the scene, and so Sanballat is, is frustrated. He's trying to dissuade Nehemiah with a little smack talk. And then Tobiah, he's kind of got a little brother complex going. He's always behind Sanballat going, yeah, yeah, you know, he's always, uh, you know, piping in. My five-year-old Felix uh, is always saying me too about his brother, uh, Mason, who's seven. And if Mason says something or does something, Felix is always, me too, and me too, and me too. So Tobiah's got a little, little brother complex going too. We can call him me, Tobiah. And Tobiah the Amorite, who was at his side, adjust us a little bit here. Tobiah the Amorite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Even a little bitty fox climb up on a wall. I mean, they're really just making fun of them now. So this is, these voices, these enemies' voices are coming at Nehemiah and his crew. And as Christians, when we're doing the right thing or we're trying to rebuild our life, we can have these enemy voices in our head as well. You can't repair your marriage. You can't rebuild your family. You can't adopt this kid. What are you doing? And this can lead to discouragement, despair. So Sam Ballant and Tobiah are trying to use this ridicule to dissuade the Jews from building the wall. But Nehemiah, what does Nehemiah do? He doesn't insult them back. The first thing he does after this is he prays. He tells God how he feels and remember, remembers why he is there. He remembers his purpose. So when we're criticized or we hear that voice in our head, we need to pray, tell God how we feel, and remember that the reward is far greater than the cost and oppositions that we endure on this planet. Smack talk's an interesting thing. If you've ever heard Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, Michael Jordan, you know, greatest basketball player ever lived, his Hall of Fame speech was pretty typical uh, to begin with. Um, he thinks his mom, thinks his dad, thinks his coach. But then the next 20 minutes, he thinks all the people that counted him out, that said he wasn't good enough. And he just keeps going and going and going. He's like, man, this guy. And he says, you know what? Thanks a lot because you put another log on the fire. And then he says, well, you know what? When I'm 50, I might come out of retirement. And the whole audience laughs. And he goes, oh, yeah? I mean, so spat talks sometimes work in reverse and can be uh, motivation. Check out this next verse, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. Smack talk didn't work right away, did it? They're doing good. They're cruising along. The Jews are building the wall back. And then it happens. They get bummed out. Why? Listen to verse 10. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much, check this word out, rubble, that we cannot rebuild the wall. They use the same word that the enemy used. Rubble, it's trash, it's rubbish. They're believing the smack talk. They're believing these voices and then get discouraged, get bummed out. I get it. Rebuilding can be tiring. Rebuilding from the rubble can be exhausting. 
There's always pressures that foster this discouragement. It seems impossible. I can never finish this. There's too many factors that are working against me to repair my marriage or, or, or rebuild my family or adopt a child. The only cure for fatigue and discouragement is realizing that our eternal reward is going to far outweigh anything that we can endure in this world. God reminds the workers of their calling, their goal, and God's protection. And then there's an interesting flow here. There's, 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 there's the voices, the smack talk, there's discouragement, and then there's what I call the enemy flex. The enemy flex. Uh, check this out. Uh, also, our enemy said, before they know it, Orsius, we will be right there among them in Jerusalem, and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. The enemy wants to end the work that God has set out for you to do. And we need to realize that. Again, awareness is the first step to liberation. We need to consider and realize the enemy wants to stop this good work that we're doing. We're fooling ourselves if we think different. And then this flow continues. There's voices. There's discouragement. This enemy threat. And then there's just good old fear that's mentioned in the Bible so many times, but I'll just call it, they're, they're freaked out because here's what happens next. The Jew, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, just repeating it over and over and over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. They said they're going to come to Jerusalem and now it's just wherever you turn. I could be in Egypt and they'll come attack. They're just flipping out, freaked out, afraid. It's chaos now. I got invited to the uh, pastor's float trip this year and um, you know, Pastor Walker was there and David Pepper and Pastor Cody up at Telkina and Steve and Willow and the pastors here at Church on the Rock, they're all psychotic outdoorsmen, okay? I'm just going to say. I mean, they're just, man. And uh, anyways, I got to go in this thing and, you know, we had some great rowers, not me, but great rowers nonetheless. And we're headed down this river, and it, uh, this river went through this, this forest. It rerouted, and there's all these obstacles in the way. There's these huge boulders you have to avoid. And there's this thing called sweepers, which is like a tree that's fallen like this, and there's water going over, and it sucks you under and kills you, and all that. It was crazy. And then there's this, these branches about this high, and you got to, like, duck, or it takes your head off. And there's all these obstacles and things trying to drag us in one way or another towards danger. But the one thing that we had control over was our own raft. We can control where that raft was going to go. We could take it to safety. We had control over that raft and dodging these obstacles and not being lured in. We could control our own path. Another thing that I enjoyed about this uh, rafting trip is actually just preparing for it. Just I had my list of gear that I needed to get, and I did all this research because I'm a nerd. And, uh, you know, just, just good boots that would keep me dry and warm. Uh, and, and part of that trip and journey was getting geared up. Nehemiah applies this principle uh, to his next step after everyone is just, just flipping out and afraid. He gets geared up. Check this out. Down in verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, 
the officials and the rest of the people. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Stand up and fight. Down in 16, from that day on, Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. They're geared up. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword by his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. The guy with the trumpet, he would sound that if the enemies attacked and they would get together and then they would fight together, but they were armed at all times. At the end of this chapter, it says, when they went for water, they made sure to have their sword with them at all times. They were armed. So I bought this uh, uh, chest holster for a, a gun, and I've never had one. I've always wanted one. I got one. I was super proud of it. And I told myself, you know, for bear protection, I'm going to always keep this on me. No matter what, I'm going to keep this on me. Well, I'm out there. It's 6 a.m. I got to go to the bathroom. Church, let me ask you a question. What do you think I forgot? And what do you think I saw? I saw a grizzly. Luckily, Dave Pepper was there, and he had his huge hand cannon. And he's like, hey, bear, hey, bear. I'm like, don't call the bear close. What are you doing? Hey, man. It's one of those interesting laws. When we forget something, that's when we most need it. So we need to be geared up. And, of course, I'm not talking about physical spears bows and arrows, but I want to take you to Ephesians now, chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. There's a spiritual warfare going on here. 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm them with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. We must stand firm in the truth of our eternal reward that awaits. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, we need to exercise right living and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We need to be ready at all times because this is a war. We're going to be attacked and have opposition. But readiness for the gospel of peace really meaning realizing that any moment, nothing can snatch us from God's hands. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. We must have faith in God's protection with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, realizing the power of salvation and that we are saved through the blood of Jesus and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We can't 
put this down. When we put it down, that's when attacks come. So even when we get water, we need to have it strapped onto us. We, we need to never put the word of God down. This is, uh, uh, we're armed and geared up towards these oppositions and costs that we face. So uh, later in uh, Nehemiah 5, uh, Nehemiah gives even more. After withstanding this opposition, uh, Nehemiah helps the poor. You see, even in uh, Jerusalem, they were starving, they needed food, and so their own people were lending them loans and just having inflation on these loans, and they couldn't pay the loans back, and so they're enslaving their own sons and daughters. And Nehemiah comes in, and now Nehemiah is governor, and he's like, no, 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 stop. We're not going to do that. We need to help the poor. We need to come along, our brothers and sisters, and not make things worse for them. Uh, he has 150 Jews uh, set at his table. I only have like four people at my table I got to feed. You know, this guy's got 150, plus he brings in foreigners. So he's feeding people like crazy. Unlike other governors, Nehemiah forgoes his salary, forgoes his allotted food uh, allotment that they were going to give him. So he makes all of these sacrifices. And you're like, man, this guy's making a lot of sacrifices. But the thing is, is when he left Persia, he made the biggest sacrifice. He left his life behind. He was going to give his life for this cause. So we might have all these costs that we have to give and our walk and what we're doing, but really, church, we're supposed to be giving our life. And once we give our life, all those costs don't seem like that much, especially when there's an eternal reward that far outweighs anything that we can imagine cost of obedience will be far outweighed by the eternal reward. We need to have faith in that. We need to walk that out, and we need to believe in that. Lessons from the rubble rebuilder. Church, say rubble rebuilder 10 times really fast. Harder to say, but harder to do sometimes. And we need to be armed up. We need to have these lessons and principles in us as we set out to do this rubble rebuilding. The first step in any venture, cost, or opposition, or situation, Nehemiah teaches us this, is to pray. Church, we got to pray first before heading out on these uh, journeys and, and uh, tasks that God's going to assign to us. Also, people under God's direction can accomplish impossible tasks. We can do impossible things through Jesus. These stories of transformation that we hear, man, they, they seem impossible. But through Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us, we can do the impossible. And we can do them together. And lastly, there are two parts of real service to God. And that's talking with him and walking with him. You know, last week we talked about that, that God didn't audibly talk to Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is talking to God all the time. He's, he's constantly talking to him. We, we must talk to him and pray to him, tell him how we feel, tell him what we're going through. He wants to hear, and then we walk the walk. We do the talkie, and then we do the walkie. We do the walkie-talkie. It's a great way to remember it. But we got to talk to God and then walk with him. God's ultimate plan wasn't to just build these walls and 
have Israel get as powerful as they were before. His plan was to send Jesus so all nations could gather and worship him. See, because God is a rubble rebuilder. God is a God who is drawn to the rubble. He comes into the rubble. He wants to resurrect the rubble and make it into something stronger and better than it ever was before. Like Nehemiah, Jesus came from his kingdom into a place of rubble, of spiritual rubble and desolation. And he came and he has offered rescue to us all. He has surrounded us with a wall of salvation that's invisible and indestructible even through death. And Jesus offers this to us all. Through his redemptive work on the cross, we get a chance to have that wall of protection around us. And if you feel like you don't have that wall of salvation around us, I'd love to to have you come forward and pray. Jesus wants to offer you that salvation today. And if you're uh, if you're looking to rebuild your marriage or you're in a place of rubble right now in your life or maybe you feel like you're maybe headed there or maybe you just come out of a place of rubble, the first thing to do is pray. we got some, a great prayer team here that would love to pray for you as you embark on what God has you uh, embarked on. Church, we're called to be rubble rebuilders we're called to help each other uh, in times of where we need rebuilding in our lives or if we have families that are close to us that need rebuilding, we're called to be rubble rebuilders like Jesus. Well, I'm ready to worship. I don't know about you. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for this invitation to be rubble rebuilders with you. God, we thank you for giving us everything we need, each other, the armor of God, your word, your truth, that we can accomplish impossible tasks through you and your Holy Spirit. We just worship you. We give you our lives, and we know that the reward far outweighs any cost or opposition we can face here on this earth. It's in Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.